Amen. You can be seated. Y'all doing well? Yeah? All right. Uh, Children's Church is leaving, kindergarten through sixth grade. There they go. Look, y'all almost got left. There they go. All right. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. Chapter 8 is an incredible chapter. I mean, for the last seven chapters, Paul's been telling us how God has revealed his law and that how we've broken it and how we're lawbreakers. In fact, he gets to that point where he's, he's talking about his struggle. Even though God has made him alive inside, that his flesh has, is full of sin nature and, there, and it's a constant battle and he's saying those things I want to do, I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, I do them. And he finally gets to that place, what a wretched man I am. He finally, he gets to that place understanding that as we look at ourselves in the mirror of the law, that it reveals that we are in desperate need of Jesus, desperately needing forgiveness. Well, in Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit comes and picks him up and lifts him up and says, I got a, I got a message that continues that's greater than the idea that you're a lawbreaker. It's bigger than, because our Lord is bigger than our failures. His grace, we're learning, is, is, has increased as sin increased, grace increased, because God's grace is greater than our sin. And then he goes into Romans 8, and he says, here's what happens when you follow Jesus Christ. Yes, so he looked at himself, he saw himself, he realized who he was. He says, I'm a wretch. And there are times where we need to do that. But then there's also more times we need to look at Romans 8. Let's read it, starting verse 1. Those who, belong to Jesus, or those who belong to Christ Jesus are no longer under God's judgment. Other translations you'll recognize. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You might have heard it that way. And he goes on. Because of what Christ Jesus has done, you are free. You are now controlled by the law of the Holy Spirit who gives you life. Now, this law right here in this verse and the next verse, it's a, a, uh, a drive or a principle law. So he's saying the principle, the driving force. Not the law as in the Old Testament, but more like we refer to the law of gravity. It governs how we live, doesn't it? It, you get on that scale, and sometimes it governs too much. But it governs the way. And so he's saying here, the Holy Spirit now governs the way that we live. The law of the Spirit frees you from the law of sin. Again, that principle, from the principle of sin that brings death. And in three, he switches back to the written law, the, what we see in the, what we consider like the Old Testament, okay? The law of Moses. The written law was made weak by the power of sin. But God did what the written law could not do. He made his son to be like those who live under the power of sin. God sent him to be an offering for sin. Jesus suffered God's judgment against our sin. Jesus does for us everything the holy law requires. The power of, the power of sin should no longer control the way we live. The Holy Spirit should control the way we live now. 
here's what we find. First thing, and we're going to see this a lot, talking about those who belong to Christ. For those who belong to Christ, there's no judgment or condemnation. Now, this is a big shift from the last seven chapters. Because he's been talking about the judgment of God. He's been talking about how we, we and sin, uh, how we sin and sin leads to death now and in the future. He's talking about all these things. And now he's, he's, he's shifting. He's going away from that. And he's saying, okay, now what you need to understand is that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he paid for all the things that we've done wrong. And as we stand before God, God doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. And so now no one can bring a, as we'll see at the very end, no one can bring a charge against us because God has declared us right. A word may be justified, and there's lots of definitions. You get real technical, but very easy. It's God sees us just as if we had never sinned. At first, when I heard that, I was like, hold on, wait a minute. It was too big for my brain because I know where I was. I was like Paul in chapters 1 through 7. I know what I've done. I know where I've been. And Paul's saying, but, but God's grace is bigger than those things. And so when God sees us, he doesn't see the wrong that we've done that requires judgment. He sees that Jesus paid the price for us. In fact, God did what we could not do. Like we could not follow the law. We could not save ourselves. It says that God made Jesus to be like us so that we could be like Jesus. So Jesus, it says that God sent Jesus to earth and he made him like one of us. In fact, it says other places that it made that one who had no sin, who had never sinned, said he'd become sin for us. So that we that are full of sin could be full now, could be filled, could be covered with the righteousness of Jesus. That right standing before God where we don't deserve punishment, but instead we're going to get a reward. It's totally flipped. Jesus didn't deserve punishment, but he got punishment. We deserve punishment, but we're getting rewarded. God did what we could not do. And what the law could not do. In fact, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. It says that Jesus came, Jesus does for us everything the holy law requires. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. How many of you like bacon? Yes. You know, in the Old Testament it says not to eat bacon. How can we eat bacon now? Not just because it's good. Because it is good. You can wrap anything in bacon. And it's better. You can put around green beans. You can put around jalapenos with cheese. Y'all getting hungry? You can put, even put bacon around meatloaf. Anybody? How many of you like your bacon a little chewy? That's the way I like it. How many of you like yours crispy where it breaks your teeth? Yeah, okay. That's called burnt. That's called burnt, but that's all right. You know why we can have bacon? Because Jesus fulfilled the law. Not that he did away with the law. Sometimes we talk about that law doesn't apply to us. That law applies to us, but Jesus fulfilled that law. Here's what we find. That just like bacon and 
all those unclean animals were, were considered unclean foods, that Jesus, when he died, he fulfilled the law, and now all those things were made clean so that we can eat, so that we can have them the same way that we were unclean, and God cleaned us through the death of Jesus so that now he can accept us. So every time you have bacon, you can think, I can have bacon because Jesus cleansed it the same way he cleansed me, and now I can be in his presence. Amen. He fulfills the law. In fact, he fulfilled it so much. This is, he, he came to earth. He lived in a body like we have, but his body, even though there was temptation, he, hadn't, he didn't have sin. He never sinned. He didn't do anything wrong ever. He did everything right. Never, never backtalked his parents. Ne- never disrespected them. Always did what he's told, as long as it's according to the Scripture, right? Can you imagine being Jesus' brothers? That would be terrible. Mom was always telling you, can't you be more like Jesus? Which is true. It's a, and, but, you know, his, his, uh, James, which is one of the most famous brothers, we know he came to Christ. That, that had to be hard. Uh, if Jesus wasn't the true Messiah, there's no way that James would have come, become a believer in Jesus, I don't think. Because uh, who wants to worship their brother? Anybody? I didn't think so. But he fulfilled the law. He, he lived the perfect life and did, did not deserve death. But because he lived this perfect life and he died, he died a death that was not his, something he did not earn. And it really goes back and points back to the sacrifices in the Old Testament where they sacrificed a sheep for the sins of the family or a sin of the nation, sins of the nation. But it wasn't like sometimes what we think. Like sometimes we just think they took the sheep in there and they just killed it and sacrificed it. There was more to it than that. Say you're going to sacrifice a lamb for your family, for the sins of your family. Because sometimes what happens in spiritual activity, religious activity, we just start going through the motions, don't we? We just kind of go through the motions, we not, uh, but on that day, there's no way you go through the motions because that lamb would be there. You would bring the lamb, and before it was sacrificed, the man as the head of the house would put their hands on that sheep and start to confess and place on that sheep the sins of the family. And not just all, they couldn't just say, Lord, put all the sins of my family on this sheep. No, they had to be confessed one at a time praying that God would reveal to you and bring to remembrance those things that you did wrong so that you're naming those sins and placing those sins on that sheep so that then it would be sacrificed and die for the sins of the family. Pointing to what Jesus was going to do, not that we placed our hands on Jesus, but that God himself poured the sins of all of us on Jesus and he was sacrificed. He fulfilled the law. All of the law. Okay, so now that we have that background, now we start to see the benefits of Jesus fulfilling the law. And us, us, what we get, the gifts that he gives us. Look, start in verse 14. Read the whole chapter when you get home. But verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you, you receive does not make you slaves. Otherwise, you would live in fear again. Instead, the Holy Spirit you received made you God's adopted child. But the Spirit's power, we, uh, by the Spirit's power, we call God Abba. Abba means Father. 
The Spirit himself joins with our spirit. Together they tell us that we are God's children. As his children, we will receive all that he has for us. We will share what Christ receives. But we must share in his suffering if we want to share in his glory. Those who belong to Christ are adopted as children of God. And this is a huge statement. You've got to remember, this church is in Rome. Paul was a Roman citizen. Adoption that's being talked about here would be within the Roman culture. And in the Roman culture, you could be adopted even as an older person, even uh, really as what we would consider an adult. You could be adopted into the family. You could be brought in as a son or as a daughter. Now, here's what would happen when you were adopted. Let's say you belong to a family that had, I don't know, they had some land, something happened, and now there's lots of debt. And that family, because the debt didn't just follow an individual, it followed a family. And so now this debt was on this family. And, and I don't know, maybe because you know how debt is, it's hard to pay back, it's hard to do whatever. But if that man was adopted into another family, that man no longer was responsible for the family debt because he didn't belong to that family anymore. Now he belongs to another family. And not only does he not owe that debt anymore, but now he's also considered as a child with equal rights as a child, as considered a full child, which meant they would have an inheritance, which we'll talk just a little bit in a minute. And so now you start to see that we as as children of God, we were brought from this, this family of sin and the debt that we had there. And now we're brought in as fully adopted children of God with all the rights that come with that. Which means that those who belong to Christ can call God Abba. The word Abba, some of you may know this, some of you may not, and it's okay. It means daddy. It's a very intimate name. Now, now, that's hard because, you know, thinking about God, just calling him daddy, it almost seems a little disrespectful, doesn't it? But it's not. In fact, God's saying that we, he wants us to call him daddy. It's a very intimate relationship. It's a very close relationship. It's a very loving relationship to call him daddy. You remember when you were young, that's what you would call when you were infatuated. All you wanted to do was be just like your daddy. You'd say, daddy, and you would call him, and then you got to be a teenager. And he didn't know anything. So then it went from daddy to father. Why are you being so silly, father, you know? And then when you get older, and you start to realize that your parents knew more than what you thought they did, he goes back to daddy. It's that intimate. It's that relationship. It shows closeness. It shows no rebellion. Daddy. And because we are a child of God, adopted in, God says, I want you to be so intimate with me that you call me daddy. That we're that close. That we have that kind of bond. And those who belong to Christ not only can call God Abba or Daddy, they can also 
or will also receive an inheritance. And we'll see this, the greatness of this inheritance. This inheritance that we're going to have is an inheritance shared with Christ. Now, Christ is the first. It says he's the first of the uh, first child. The first child, the oldest child, gets a double portion, gets more than. And Jesus is going to have more than. It just makes sense. He's going to sit on the right hand of God. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He has that double portion. But then all the children after the firstborn, they get an equal share. So the firstborn gets a double share, and the rest of us, we're going to get an equal share of the inheritance of God. And here's the good news. God has more than enough for all of us, and we won't have any want. In fact, we'll have so much that we won't be able to use all that he gives us. We'll have an inheritance that is huge because we belong to Christ, because we are a child of God. And sometimes in this world, we look at this and we start to see how we have this intimacy with God and how we're going to be adopted as a child and how we're going to receive an inheritance. And, and we hear all this, but then we know who we are. We know that we sin. We know that we uh, fail. And we think in our mind, how can that be possible? How, how, can, how can God want me to call him daddy when he knows the things that I've done? And so sometimes we even start to question, am I following God? Some of us might even question, am I a believer? Have I been faking this all these years? And I'm going to say, the old, the old school would say, you should never doubt, and Yes, you should never doubt because God's faithful, but then there are times because we have this body of sin, we doubt. And I would say lean into that doubt. And here's why. Because that might be the Spirit saying you hadn't had this figured out at all. That, that you have just been going through the motions. That you just you made a decision that wasn't really real. I'd say lean into it. Search and see. And how will you know if you're a believer? Well, the Scripture says right here that the Spirit of God will join together with your spirit and will let us know that we are children of God. And so the Spirit of God witnesses to our spirit that we are children of God. So as we pray through this, as we lean into the doubt, as we're praying about God, is, is, is this a real thing? Have I really followed you? Am I really doing what you, you know, what you called me to do is follow you? Am I doing that? Is that prayer that I prayed that time, is that a real thing? Did I really become a believer, do I belong to you? And the Spirit of God will start to witness to you and say, you are a believer, not because of what you have done, but because God is faithful. God is faithful. And so, so even though we have, and, and sometimes the devil will come and try to convince you that you're not a believer. He wants to take you out of the game for a while. Because when you're in that state, it's there. And that's also part of the armor of God. It says you have to wear that helmet of salvation to protect your mind. And so all these things could, could, or these things could be happening to you. You could just be doubting because you see in yourself for who you are in that mirror of the law. Or maybe Satan's coming after you and you're doubting. And in that, put on the helmet of salvation. 
Listen to the Spirit of God. Let Him reveal to you that you're a child of His. Or you're going to lean into it and you're going to discover that it's the conviction of God and that you're really lost. And that you need to make Him your, your Lord, your boss, your Savior. Let's keep going. This is so good. i got to go or I'm going to be here all day. So 22. We know that uh, all that God created has been groaning. It is in pain as if it were going, uh, giving birth to a child. The created world continues to groan even now. And that's not all. We have the Holy Spirit as the promise of future blessing. But we also groan inside ourselves. We do this as we look forward to the time when God adopts us as full members of his family. Then he will give us everything he has for us. He will raise our bodies and, and give glory to them. That's the hope we had when we were saved. But hope that can be seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? We hope for what we don't, yet, uh, don't have yet. So we are patient as we wait for it. Those who belong to Christ have the Holy Spirit as a promise. So we were adopted as the children of God. And now we're part of His family. But sometimes we don't feel that way because of this flesh. Sometimes we don't feel like God has, has saved us from our sin because our flesh is here. And in that, God says, look, your Holy Spirit is going to be a witness that you are. And in fact, that Holy Spirit that you have is a promissory note that you will receive a full inheritance. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are promised a better future. The Holy Spirit is the, the uh, promise of better things to come. And He, because it isn't He, He. The Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a He. He has promised, or is a promise, that you will be saved, not just from the consequences of sin, but from the very presence of sin, and ultimately from the consequence of sin, which is death in the grave. Holy Spirit is that promise. And then those who belong to Christ have an unseen better future. That this unseen better future that is promised to us and that the Holy Spirit is this, is this promissory note that now we have this unseen better future. That, that we, even this body of ours, if, it's, if we die today and it's laid in the grave, God's not done with it. If we're still alive, when Jesus comes back, the body that we're in is going to be changed. It says in the twinkling of an eye. This is quicker than a snap. I don't know why we snap for twinkling of an eye. Anyway, I digress. That when Jesus breaks through and rips the sky really open and meets us in the clouds, The inheritance that we're going to get, it says that we have an inheritance, but the full inheritance we will get. And that's what we're hoping for. The full inheritance is when he comes back and he gives us a new body. And this new body doesn't have things like arthritis. It doesn't have things like blurry vision, memory loss, 
doesn't have things like cancer. It's a body that is, is there and will exist for all of eternity and won't grow old. So that we can spend our days in the enjoyment and in the worship and the praise of God. In fact, He's going to fulfill this promise to us at the very end when He renews the whole earth. He's going to make it new again. He's going to make it brand new for us. And He's going to take, He's going to put a new Jerusalem that is incredibly big and beautiful. And it's going to set on the earth. And when that sets on the earth, Jesus Christ will sit on the throne in the middle of the city and His light will shine uh, throughout the city. This is a full promise. The full inheritance of an unseen better future. In the same way, the whole, this is in verse 26, in the same way the Holy Spirit helps us when we're weak. Can I get an amen there? Yes, helps us when we're weak. We don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit Himself prays for us. He prays through groanings too deep for words. God who looks into our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit prays for God's people just as God wants them to. Those who belong to Christ have the strength from the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but this world will wear you out. It'll, it'll beat you down. And there will be days that you're going to need that strength just to take that next step, to live that next hour, to, to make it to the end of the week, to make it to the end of the day. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and, and gives you strength in your weakness. This world breaks you down, attacks you, and you're going to want to fight back, and you're going to want to, you know... Destroy the people who are trying to destroy you, and the Holy Spirit's going to give you strength to keep your mouth shut. Holy Spirit's going to give you strength to pray for your enemy. Holy Spirit's going to give you strength to watch, love your enemy. Those things that are impossible for us because we're weak, now we'll have the, the ability to do it because we have strength from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us strength to share the gospel with those people around us. And then it goes, watch this, another part of being a child of God, being a, a, a child of God, a belonging of God, one who belongs to Jesus Christ, those who belong to Christ have the Holy Spirit praying for us. Wow. I don't know if you've ever been in this place in your life where like, you just don't have words. Like the words that you try to say, they don't carry enough meaning. It, it, you try to pray and you start to find yourself repeating or just weeping or just in that place of depression maybe. And it's just, and you don't even have the words to describe what you're feeling. It says here that the scripture, in the scripture that the spirit takes that puts it into words, and prays to the Heavenly Father on our behalf. Man, that's good. And then only that, he's, he's, he's an editor of our prayers. How about this? Because it says that, and the Spirit prays for God's people just as God wants him to, and so he edits our prayers. So maybe some of us start praying, God, I need a new job. These people are driving me crazy. 
like, I can't work. I need a new job. And the Holy Spirit takes that and takes the, the, the longing of our heart, because really what we want is peace. It takes the longing of our heart and the truth of who we are. And he prays on our behalf, God, give them a new attitude because they're the problem. And if they go to another job, they're just not going to get along with them either. And so now the Holy Spirit's editing our prayers and praying on our behalf for our good. Man, that's so good. He's making sure that we, we get what we really need. And he's also relaying the truth of who we are. And that's, that's the reason that sometimes, and I'll tell people this all the time, that if you're angry, if you're mad, because sometimes you can be mad at God. It just happens that God's not wrong. You are, but you're still mad at him. Tell him you're mad because the Holy Spirit's going to tell him anyway. Amen. You say, look, you might be praying, Lord, you're so good, you're so kind, you're so wonderful. And the Holy Spirit's going to be like, God, he's mad at you. He's frustrated. So just tell the truth from the start. But the Holy Spirit's praying on our behalf. The Holy Spirit's praying things like give them strength. Lord, help them know the truth of the Scripture. Lord, let them make it through the day without falling into this temptation. Lord, let them feel your love today. Man, the Holy Spirit's praying on our behalf. In 28, we know that all things, uh, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. He appointed them to be saved in keeping with his purpose. God planned that those he had chosen would become like his son. In that way, Christ will be the first and most honored among many brothers and sisters. That's the double honor we were talking about. That's the first. He gets a double, double portion in 30. In, in those God has planned for, he also appointed to be saved. Those he has appointed, he has made right with himself. To, to those he has made right with himself, he's given his glory. Those who belong to Christ have all things work for their good. I'm going to sum it up one sentence. The, the best way I've ever put it, or not me, but the best way I've ever heard it put is this way. If it's not good, God's not done. Because by the time he gets done, it will be good because it's a promise of God and he cannot lie. And he's always faithful. So he works together. He works all things together for our good. For our good. Now, our good may be not what you want, but it's for our good. It's the same way as if we went to the doctor and the doctor said, okay, you can't have any more salt. Oh, my goodness. It may not be what we want, but it's for our good. So God works all things together for our good. And then he, he goes further and he says, I want you to understand that I'm not going to give up on you. For those who belong to God, we have the promise of God's faithfulness. He goes through it. He says, hey, look, we know that God has a plan and that plan will continue until he's done with you. He will not stop in the middle. He will continue to do his work from start to finish. He will make us at the very end. He he says, those he's made right with God, he has given his glory. That's the end result. He says, I'm going to do this step by step. And then what's going to happen is, in the end result, we, us, 
we will be given glory. Not our glory, but the glory of God. So, so those who belong to Christ have the promise of God's faithfulness that what he starts, he will not stop. He will continue till he's done. Now, let's get to this last part in 30 through, 31 through 39. What shall I say then? Okay, so he's summing this chapter up. Man, I'm telling you, this is the best part. What should I say then? Since God is on our side, who can be against us? God did not spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. Then won't he also freely give us everything else? Who can bring any charge against God's chosen ones? God makes us right with himself. Then who can sentence us to death? No one. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also praying for us. How about that? You have the Holy Spirit praying for you and you have Jesus praying for you. If nobody else prays for you, you got more than enough people praying for you. Let's continue in 34. He died. Talking about Jesus. Jesus died. More than that, he was raised to life. Who can separate us from Christ's love? Can trouble or hard times or harm or hungry? Can nakedness or danger or war? It's written because of you. We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be killed. 37, no. And all these things, we are more than winners or more than conquerors. We owe it all to Christ who has loved us. I'm absolutely sure that not even death or life can separate us from God's love. Not even angels or demons, the present or the future, or any power can separate us. Not even the high places or the lowest, or anything else in all of creation can separate us. Nothing at all can separate us from God's love. That's because of what Christ, our Lord, has done. Those who belong to Christ have no one. Who can bring a charge against us? That includes yourself, by the way. We can't bring a charge against ourselves. You know, here's Paul. He's talking about how bad he is chapters before this. And sometimes we get caught in the middle of that. And we start to think about that. And, and, and God's the one that has to reassure assure us. The Holy Spirit has to reassure us that you are a child of God. And because of that, you are free from the consequences spiritual and heavenly consequences of sin. Not earthly consequences, but spiritual consequences. The, the ultimate consequence of death. That You've been forgiven, so no one can bring a charge. Even the enemy, which is the devil, he's the accuser. And so he can try to accuse, and God's going to be like, shut your mouth. They are covered by the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. And so now there's no one who can bring a charge. And for those who belong to Christ, there's no losing. In fact, he says, hey, we're more than conquerors. We're more than winners. We win all the time. That's all we do is win. And why? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our champion took the battlefield and defeated our foe for us. It's like David as he stepped out onto the battlefield and he killed Goliath 
for the is all of Israel. Jesus took the field as our champion and destroyed sin, death, and the grave. He took and won the battle for us. And so now because of him, because we have, you know, you ever had that team had really one, only had that one really good player, and they won everything because that one really good player, we got that one really good player. And we're more than winners because Jesus is that really good player. He's the game changer. And then for all those who belong to Christ, there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. No matter how bad we think we are, we can't be separated from God's love. No matter how bad other people say we are, we can't be separated from God's love if you belong to Jesus Christ. No matter, no matter what we're, the accuser, Satan, says, we can't be separated from God's love. In fact, that is the most powerful part. And look what he says. Man, who can separate us from Christ's love? A rhetorical question. It's a, it's a, nobody can. The answer. Can trouble or hard times or harm or hunger, all these things that we experience on this earth, can nakedness or danger or war? He says, no. None of those can. He says, in all these things, we are more than winners. What things? We're more than winners in trouble and hard times. We're more than winners in harm. We're more than winners in hunger. We're more than winners in nakedness. We're more than winners in danger. We're more than winners in war. And then he continues because he's like, that's not enough. Let me keep going. He says, I am absolutely convinced. He's convinced. I'm absolutely sure that not even death or life can separate us from God's love. Not even angels or demons. Not even the present or the future. Or any powers can separate us. Not even the highest places are the lowest or anything else in all of creation. He says there's absolutely nothing, nothing at all can separate us from God's love. Why? Because our champion took the battlefield. He died on a cross for us and was resurrected. And because of all this, he says, that's because. Why can't we be separated from God's love? Because. Of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done. Because of what our Christ Jesus has done. You know, last two weeks we've been talking about how the law is a mirror. You remember we talked about how we get up in the morning and we go to the mirror and we went to bed. We look pretty good. But then we look in the mirror and our hair's all, you know, everywhere our breath is like the grave who knows we may have grown a zit in the night and there we are looking in the mirror and sometimes when we look into the law that's that's what we see we see ourselves there and we see all the things that are wrong and that's really that's what the law is there for it 
shows us how we have sinned against God. But there are those times when you wake up in the morning and you make your way to the bathroom and you get in there and it's, you turn on the light and the light's so bright you can't see anything. Like you can't see yourself in the mirror. You've seen that? You know that? Like, like your eyes, just, the lights just blinds you. Today, I hope that in chapter 8 what we saw is that light. That yes, the law shows us how we're wrong. The law shows us how we're lawbreakers. But the light of God is so bright and the love of God is so bright that it blinds us. It hides those things. Yeah, there are times where we need to look and we need to fix ourselves and we need to get in the right place. But there's also those times where we need to be blinded by the light of the mercy and the grace of God to where we don't see the wickedness that we are, that we see the greatness of who He is. It's not that we're not wicked, it's just that He's greater than our wickedness. And because He's greater than our wickedness, His brightness is, is, is larger, greater. It outshines our wrong. today that what you would do is you would see all the things that our father, our daddy has given us. Like even though we spent all those chapters showing that we we really are wicked, that he loves us and he's given us all these things like the Holy Spirit as a, as a promise of a future inheritance because we were adopted as children. That we have the Holy Spirit that's taking and praying on our behalf and editing our prayers. And Jesus himself at the right hand of God is praying for us. And we know that he prays for us in such a way that it's not just a general prayer. Because he knows all of us by name. He's praying to the Father by name. start to see the love and the mercy of grace that floods a room, that floods an area that overshadows how bad I am. I guess if we're going to talk about sports and this is talk about more than winners, more than conquerors. You could have a terrible person out on the basketball. Like, you could have me out there playing. Like, I have a vertical leap of about half an inch. My three-point shot, I'm about 5%. And if I drive, I usually trip. Terrible. Like, look at that guy. But then you have the great... Michael Jordan walk into the room. You know where all eyes go? Michael Jordan. You know where they're not? How bad I am. All of a sudden, people are talking about how good he is. Today, I hope that we take our eyes off, just, just for a little while, take our eyes off of how bad we are, and we put our eyes on how good he is.
and we see him high and lifted up. So much so, it leaves us in awe and it takes our breath away. We see our king on the throne. In fact, I ask that you would stand up just for a minute. And then go ahead and close your eyes. Now, I don't want you to try to just picture him. Like, like what does he look like? Because, because God is spirit. But here's what I want you to do. Picture how much he loves you. Man, what has he done for you? What has he given you? Like, remember the day that you came to South salvation the day you surrender to the call of God when he says follow me remember how much or think about how much he must love you to give you a call I want you to be in my family I want you to be loved by me think about man just think about the fact that he gave you the Holy Spirit as a gift he says, I must go so I can send the comforter. So he comforts and he strengthens and he prays for and he's in you. And he witnesses to you in your spirit about how you are one of God's. I mean, think about that day. When we face our creator. And we stand before him and. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because we see this picture in the prodigal son. We're going to run to him and we're going to be able to say, Daddy, I'm home. He's going to run to us and he's going to put new clothes on us because these clothes, this body that we have, he's going to put the righteousness of Jesus on us. And with the righteousness of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ, he's going to cover our sin and our shame. We get to live with him forever. God is so good to us. Let his glory grow in your mind. Let his grace grow in your mind. Start to see the brightness of who he is. Let it overshadow the mistakes that you've made in your life, the sins that you've committed. Let his greatness grow. Let it get bigger and bigger until it overwhelms you. Until it takes you to a place where all you can think about is He's so good. Our King is so good to us. Lord Father, I pray right now that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, we would see you. We would see who you are. And what we saw here in chapter 8 about how good you are, that you just kept giving gift after gift after gift after gift, promise after promise after promise. It just shows and reveals to us that you are a father, a daddy, a king that loves us. And you just keep on loving us. And you keep on loving us. God, let us feel it. Let us know it. Let us leave here full, filled, overflowing. God, let us feel your rod and your staff. Let us feel that comfort. 
Lord, make us lay down in the green pastures today. By the still waters. Lord, as the world comes against us, Lord, prepare a feast for us in the very presence of our enemies. Because we know one day we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. You respond as the Spirit moves in your life. If you want to come and pray at the altar, just fall on your knees to a good king, a good God, a good daddy, a good father. You do that. If you want to just stay where you are and worship Him with all that you are, you do that. But let His glory grow.